Hello and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my co-host Jillian Parker. Hey everyone. Hey Quinn. Hey Jillian. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. My mom talked about you the other day. What? She, yeah, she was like, she's like, are you and Quinn still doing your podcast? And I was like, yes, mother. And she was like, Quinn, her voice is so soothing. And I was like, yes, mother. And she was like, she has the perfect voice for radio. And I was like, what about me? And she was like, she has the perfect voice for radio. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to hear this whole um, my voice thing is going on. <laughs> yeah, you have your own fan club. It's just your mom, though. And her <laughs> <Yeah>. other roommate. <laughs> and everyone we talk to about your voice. At any rate... Our voices are both up to some good business recently. We're both in shows. Jillian's in a real show. I'm in my show choir concert. Okay, your show choir concert is a real show. I mean, although Jillian is like nine performances and I have one, so. Nine performances in the next two weeks. Somebody <laughs> punch me in the face. Uh, I'm not going to do that, no. but I appreciate the request. <laughs> <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> but yeah, so we're both, well, Jillian's going into tech week next week and then um, the week after, we are both in Tech Week, oh, um, which means, who knows what that means? We haven't figured it out yet. And for those unfamiliar, Tech Week means that the show you're in owns your life for a week, or in Jillian's case, two weeks. Yeah, we. Th- you think we're kidding, but no, it's it's very accurate. I'm like missing class for Tech Week. It's a fun time because shows no, are fun. Okay, mine's a fun time because my show is fun. Um but also, like, everyone's on the verge of a breakdown 100% of the time. Yeah. If they're not having one. Usually it's just me crying. It'll be fine. I love theater. <laughs> I love performing. I can't wait to see you in your show. Oh, I can't believe I'm missing your show this semester. No, it's okay. Uh, I was like, Caroline, like, I can't believe I'm missing your show. Like, I feel so bad. And she was like, Jillian... You're, like, in another show. It's, like, literally not your fault. Yeah, just walk out on the thing that you've been rehearsing all semester for. It's fine. (laughs) I thought about it. I have nothing to lose. (laughs) They don't own me. (laughs) So to leave fun and joy behind and dive into the topics of the week, our first story this episode is the recent terrorist attack in Somalia. Mm -hmm. On Saturday, a man... In Mogadishu, which is the capital of Somalia, um, killed over 300 people with a truck bomb. Absolutely devastating attack. I mean, that's just an unimaginable number of lives lost in this. And then, of course, so many people beyond that injured. Yeah, so Saturday's attack has been blamed on Al-Shabaab, which is the Islamist group in the area. And this has been their um, their most lethal attack in recent years. Yeah, they, they're a terror group that's um, associated with Al-Qaeda, and they haven't officially claimed credit for the attack yet as the time of this recording, but a member of the group that's in custody um, said that said that they were and said, said that was one of their members that carried it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This group also previously killed almost 150 people in 2015 um, targeting Christian students in Kenya. Yeah, and... Al-Shabaab started, I believe, in 2007, and in Arabic, its name means the youth. So, it's just... Yeah. It's... I... Does that imply that, like, you have to be... That sounds, like, weird. Like, you have to be a certain age to join our terrorist group. I don't know. 
Well, it was originally like the youth wing of the Union of Islamic Courts. Right. Um, and it became, you know, more and more radical. I'm not sure if there's any technical age parameters, but it, it evolved um, as a radical youth organization. Mm-hmm. Trying to avoid ca- calling it a, a youth group, which Jillian referred to it as earlier, because that makes it sound like an, an after church organization. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Quinn was like, oh yeah, we need to talk about this. And I was like, oh, you mean the youth group? And she was like, what? And I was like, it literally means the youth in Arabic. And she was like, Jillian, they are not, this is not the local YMCA. Um, so yeah, our thoughts and prayers are with everyone in Somalia right now. This is just absolutely devastating. Um, just another thing to add to the long list of things that are currently wrong with the world. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's not really any kind of reprieve from that. Sorry. The apocalypse is still like kind of happening. California's on fire. Yellowstone might explode. Um, Mm. that was a fun little tidbit story that was announced recently. So, you know, casual. But this story in Somalia um, is specifically devastating both because, you know, this is humans are are very much conditioned um, in today's age to fear terrorist attacks in a different way than we fear other kinds of um, tragedies and natural disasters because they're just so, I don't want to say preventable, that's not the word I mean, but like the idea that someone had to go out and do that deliberately Mm -hmm. Um, as opposed to a force of nature that we just have no idea of and no control over, um, I think is just more viscerally scary to us Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, And also, this um, is currently speculation, but there is some suggestion that this attack may have been a retaliation against a botched U.S. raid that happened a few months ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it is like you said, visceral, because it's like, it's an action. It's not like, I feel like a natural disaster is much more of a passive connotation as opposed to, it's like the Latin word malum, right? Which means disaster, but like it can mean a natural disaster or it could also mean, you know, like a force of will. So something like this, that's intentional. Um, And also I just like, I guess this is kind of random, but I always like, I, I know that it's like a thing to do, but I just, like, always felt, not weird, I don't think weird's the right word, but just, like, always taken aback when, like, oh, like, this group claimed responsibility. It's, like, you know, like, saying that you're proud of something that ruined people's lives slash, you know, killed slash hurt a bunch of innocent people. Yeah, but, I mean, that's, that's the whole goal of a terrorist Mm -hmm. organization, not, the, the, the killing is the goal, but it's the goal because of the terror that it inspires. Right. Um, right. And the, the the way that it grants them control over people's minds and, and patterns. And and it, it's just terrifying to think of how twisted you have to be in order for that to be your goal. Mm-hmm. So as Quinn mentioned before, that um, the attack on Saturday may have actually been because of some sort of an act of revenge for the U.S.-led operation in August that ended up failing. Um, yeah, there were um, 10 people who died in the raid, 10 mm-hmm. citizens, um, including three children. Between um, ages 6 and 10. Yeah, so young kids. Mm-hmm. And um, so there was some 
anger and resentment and, and calls for revenge. Um, and the person who carried out this this terrorist attack this week was from that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there were all the investigation is also uncovering a bunch of other links to the town where it took place, which just only you know solidifies the evidence that we do have that supports that this is probably something in retaliation to what happened over the summer. And going off of that, um, there was a United Nations study that basically found that things like government action um, that led to the killing of a family member or a friend um, or just even the arrest of a family member or a friend um, is what pushed or was a significant factor in pushing people towards extremist groups. And so that points to like this is definitely not a one-time incident. It's not. It's not a one-time revenge situation. That this is something a, a pattern that happens um, where government action on like in African governments, um, but also like in external governments. Like the case of this and, and the United States interceding um, pushes people towards violent extremism, mm-hmm. which is just absolutely horrible and is just one of the really unfortunate consequences of, I guess, trying to exercise control over groups of people, but just not, I think it's just because, like, I think that we think of terrorism as just, like, this abstract concept when, you know, like, especially now, it's extremely real, and it's just, like, sometimes hard to think of these as, well, these terrorists as people who were motivated by something that like was done to hurt them and now they're taking it out on other people and i think it's just weird to like see the incentives behind this um and to recognize that there are incentives even though we don't necessarily agree with them yeah i think we can say we don't agree with them (laughs) yeah we do not agree with them yeah this is the thing that gets me is um this is this is a study in sociology and you know like all social sciences is what pushes people towards things like terrorism and and there's all these studies of like the way that people become radicalized um and the way that that violence and and poverty um and then and disenfranchisement and then things like online tools in certain cases like in the case of um white nationalism radicalization in the united states like online forums have been a component of that um but none of that explains like who started it because it's not like one person just woke up one day and became evil and then decided to recruit everyone to their cause, right? Like, this happened gradually, and people got pushed more and more to the edge um, and then then got there and fell off the edge together. And it happens over and over again for different causes in different ways, which means that this is something that's, like, innately part of us as humans. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what scares me the most. Yeah. Um, I think that is actually the most terrifying aspect of it is that, like, like you said, like, this just didn't happen overnight. Like, it's all a process. And this has just become so ingrained. Terrorism has unfortunately become so ingrained into what we know about, you know, different cultures and different societies. And it's like a household topic now. So it's just weird to to imagine you know terrorism or like the formation of terrorist groups before they became terrorist groups if that makes sense so like all we know is like the present and what's 
and like the indication of what's going to happen and trying to increase security and like always being on the lookout but then we like forget that there was a past and like everything has a story even though it's not a good one like this group al-shabaab it wasn't just a group of young people who all collectively woke up one day and were like we the next time that someone attacks us we are going to retaliate as violently and extremely as possible there there had to be some kind of progression to that point mm-hmm. yeah and i think groups that start out like this are like the scariest because it's like when you're affecting young people like that and like making and having this impact that would drive these young people to do these awful horrible things it's just like it's just gonna it just makes breaking the cycle that much harder so i know there's an organization in the united states that we've linked to before called um life after hate which is like breaking the cycle of racism and white nationalism um and it's run by a former I'm not sure if it's a former neo-Nazi or former Klansman, but um, basically someone who, who broke out of the cycle of hate and now works to, to mentor other people and, and help them escape it. Um, but I don't know if there are equivalent organizations um, for other causes or like international reach. But I think this is important to think about because right now we have this model of the war on terror, but it's not it's not really a war. Like we're not fighting another state. We don't have the same rules about losers and winners and what that means and what that can look like. It, it's this whole jumbled mess of like ci- civilians and citizens and terrorists and where they intersect and interlock. And like, um, yeah, like driving a truck bomb and killing 300 people is a horrible, horrible, horrible thing to do. But it was also a bad thing to do to kill children in Somalia. And those happened in different ways and for different reasons, but it's a big, complicated mess. And I don't think we're going to be able to solve that by, by using the war model. I, th- I think that this should be treated more like a sickness, like a disease and something that has to be combated, but also has to be treated. There has to be prevention and cures mm-hmm. and whatever that can possibly look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I get that it's like they did this out of retaliation because people in Somalia died and like that's not you know ideal but like also it's just like you can't fight violence with violence and it's just like exacerbating the problem like I know I feel like I've read so much about okay I have not read this so much but I've definitely heard people use or people reference the bible passage that's like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth oh yeah so like even in America when we're using that for like you know, being pro-gun, right? Like, it's just like, oh, like, if someone, like, shoots me, like, I have the right to shoot them. I'm like, that's not what the proverb means. <laughs> what like, does the proverb mean? So basically how people interpret, you know, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, it's, like, about retaliation, right? So if, like, somebody hurts you, then you deserve the right to hurt them back. But really what it means is referencing, like, Hammurabi. Oh, my God. Hammurabi? Yeah. It's like the, the Babylonian... Babylonian code of ethics, meaning that like some crimes deserve different levels of severity when it comes to punishment, right? So like if you steal a loaf of bread, you shouldn't be, you know, hanged. Don't doesn't the code of Hammurabi have like your hand gets cut off if you steal bread though? Yeah, they did have different standards for yeah what severity of crimes is. Yeah, but still, a, a fun side fact. Um, 
my dad is, well, he's not anymore, but he was a building trades instructor for a very long time. And in his classroom on the bulletin board, he had posted up the, the segments from the Code of Hammurabi. Um, Hammurabi? Hammurabi? Hammurabi. All right. He had posted up the sections of the Code of Hammurabi that had to do with carpentry. And so um, it was basically if uh, if uh, someone constructs a house and it falls down and it kills the, the person who lives in it, the carpenter will be put to death. Um, and there were a couple more, but that was the, that was the gist. Oh my goodness. There was more, there was more detail about like, oh, if something falls down, then like the carpenter owes them this much money or whatever and more technical details. But that was like the big centerpiece one. No, there's like, and that's the thing about, um, there was like a libertarian argument saying that like, we shouldn't have licenses on, not licenses. We shouldn't have warning labels on things. Okay. Like, I mean, we can, we can, like, what's the harm of having warning labels on things, though? No, that's the thing, though. Like, it's just, like, it, it was getting to the point, though, where, like, people were putting, like, warning la- Like, this one person tried to sue McDonald's because she spilled hot coffee on herself, and it was, like, McDonald's. Here's the thing. Because that's... Okay. Let, everybody sit down. This is story time with Quinn. <laughs> so that story is used an example of, like, really stupid suing all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Law- I guess lawsuits is the noun for that. Mm-hmm. Um... But this was, like, um, this woman was handed a cup of coffee that was so much hotter than it ever should have been to the point where she had it in her lap and it spilled, it, it spilled on her lap and she had to have skin grafts because it burned her so badly. Mm-hmm. And so she was trying to get money for, like, her hospital bills because she was handed a cup of boiling water effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, there is, that's... There are extremely stupid lawsuits out there, but that example is always heralded as, like, like the, the stereotypical stupid lawsuit, but there's actually, like, a wild story behind it. To be fair, though, in my libertarian class, we weren't, like, talking about, like, how... We were talking about, like, if you were to sue someone, you shouldn't sue corporations. Like, you shouldn't sue McDonald's for making the coffee. You should sue the person who, like, gave you the water, like, gave you the really hot cup. Like, That's- you shouldn't go direct. It was all about, like, levels and how you can't, like, go directly to, like, the CEO of McDonald's and be like, hey, I'm suing you because, like, your company, like, caused me to get skin grafts. It was more like, okay, you need to reevaluate the, situ- <laughs> the situation and go to the bottom and start suing with the people who like start suing the people who caused you the direct harm so like sue the employee for like not doing their job as opposed to like suing the entire corporation (laughs) like this was all about the libertarian perspective on like tort liability and how like if someone does this then yes you have the right to sue them but there shouldn't be like this preemptive thing where you have to label everything like if someone gets hurt then yes you sue them but it should be more of like um it should be an ex-ante kind of thing, not like a preemptive warning label. I don't know. I'm into preventative care. Ugh. You know. Okay. I'd rather just like the 79-year-old woman not get third-degree burns on herself rather than having to sue and go through court and eventually get awarded damages. So you're saying that if someone hands you a paper cup of coffee, you like look at it every time to make sure it's like not hot or like you, you know what I mean? Like it's not... Like, I feel like even if the warning label was there, she still would have sued them, but it was just, like, protects... Now it protects the companies, but... That's a good point. I think that they really, they really need to do, which I think is what they do now, is just make the coffee less hot. That was really the problem, less than they didn't... Because it, it, 
again, the issue wasn't that the coffee was hot and she like burned her tongue. It was that she got third degree burns on her legs, um, which is just like hotter than the coffee should ever be when it's handed to the customer. So the issue, I guess the issue is less like, should there be warning labels on things and more like, should you make things that are like more with a more reasonable expectation of safety for the consumer? I realize that's not what we were talking about originally, but now that's what I'm thinking about. I think the lesson of the day here is just don't get your coffee from McDonald's and just go to Starbucks. Starbucks does have better coffee. They do. What were we talking about? I don't really know. We were talking about Somalia. (laughs) I genuinely don't remember how we got on this topic anymore. Um, But anyway. So yeah, just to wrap up this whole topic... As always, there'll be more information in the show notes, um, as well as uh, more resources if you're looking for ways to help. Um, And also, somehow, we started talking about warning labels and lawsuits. And I'm glad that McDonald's has coffee that is fit for human consumption now. So, in response to the allegations against Harvey Weinstein from these over now 40 women have come out saying that he sexually abused them. Um, there's a new movement right now on Twitter, and it's called hashtag me too. And basically, it's those who have been assaulted coming out publicly and saying that they have also been sexually abused and how this has become such a systemic part of society that people don't even render it completely necessary to mention. It's just like something that people have been living with this entire time. Yeah, there is a lot going on with this movement. Um, so Alyssa Milano was the person who started it this round. Um, we're going to come back to that. Um, and basically invited people to share, you know, if you've been a victim of this, say Me Too. Some people have offered more stories behind what that means. Some people have just simply been saying Me Too. Um, and it's been on Twitter and Facebook. I've, I've seen it on both. And... It's really depressing, first of all. Um, just want to start with that. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's not like we didn't know. It's not like we didn't know how prevalent sexual abuse was um, and, like, understand the statistics of how many, like, people we know and how many people are probably victims of sexual harassment and, and assault through those statistics but seeing it spelled out like that is different Mm -hmm. yeah it's more visceral yeah especially when it's become so widespread that people you personally know and not just you know faceless names or like celebrities um come out and do this and then it's like you become more aware of how this affects people you do know and do care about on much more of a personal micro level Mm mm-hmm also, I don't know how you feel about the movement with the um, hashtag, it was me, which is like, I guess, the general male response to hashtag me too. Yeah. Uh, okay. I have mixed feelings about this. Okay. So. <laughs> I don't have mixed feelings about this, but I want you to go first. I My feelings aren't that mixed but i will say first of all i appreciate people trying to accept responsibility for their actions and reflecting on actions that they may have not perceived 
as aggressive or inappropriate before and like realizing them in a new context and, and, and learning. Um, but on the other hand, it is not the other people's responsibility to absolve you of your guilt, um, to, to forgive you for that, to, for you to put your guilt onto other people. Like that's something that you should be dealing with in your interpersonal relationships. That's something you should be reaching out to people directly and being like, I am sorry for what I did to you, not looking for attention from other people to tell you that it was okay. Yeah, I feel like this is just, like, not an excuse, but, like, just a way to sort of try to get gain public acknowledgement that they're, like, sorry, in quotes. And, like, whether or not they're sorry is their own business, but, like, I feel like looking for approval from other people for doing something, like, really bad is just not okay. And also, like... I don't know. It's it's like again, like I think I think by doing this it's like yes, you're admitting you're yes, you're admitting you're wrong, which is like okay, cool, like you're wrong, but then also just like it's like them doing this takes something off their chest and like makes it easier for them to move forward and I think they should just live in guilt for the rest of their lives. Okay. Yeah. So that's my view. I believe in the power of people to move forward and, and to make changes in their life and to be better people, um, especially if they did bad things as, like, a very young person um, and have since matured. Um, people like um, our president who are post-70, and sometimes people are like, maybe he'll mature, and I'm like, mm, nope. Um, but, you know, <laughs> the people who are like, I was, I, like, sexually harassed someone at age 20, and I didn't realize the full consequences of what I was doing and it was terrible. I can acknowledge that like that person could be a great person and like be very respectful of women and be very feminist now and understand the mistakes they made and not make them again. But going back to like, it is not our responsibility to absolve them of that guilt. Mm -hmm. Um, Like women and non-binary people who are not always, but most often the victims of, of this kind of, harassment assault like don't put your burdens on us your burdens are your burdens go to therapy therapy is great <laughs> there are specific resources for people who want to learn like how to not be crappy people um and how to be feminist and you know like treat <laughs> other people with respect wow what a groundbreaking concept i know <laughs> no that's the thing like i understand what you're saying when how like oh yeah like if you sexually harass someone or, like, made a comment in the past, and now you're recognizing, like, oh, that was bad, and I shouldn't have done that. And it's, like, one of those minor things where it's, like, oh, like, I just grew up in, like, one of those environments where it was, like, accepted, and that's, like, all I saw on TV. Like, okay, fine, whatever. But then, like, that also being roped in in the same group under the same hashtag with, oh, like, I actually sexually assaulted someone, and having those be, like, on the same level, just, like, you know, not the actual same level, but, like, under the same sort of general hashtag then it's like okay well so should i like treat this this more lightly than something like as serious like is the, and then you're just assigning like degrees of severity and then becomes you know more like the eye for eye tooth for tooth and it's like well maybe we should just <laughs> like should we sec like because with me it's like with libertarians it's like 
it's like a slippery slope, right? Like it's like one of those logic things where if you accept one thing's okay, then if it's like follows the same code of logic, then you kind of have to like accept that the other thing's okay. But like for me, I'm just not going to accept anything. <laughs> I think all of this is bad and I think everyone should live in guilt until they go to confession. In case you weren't sure, Jillian's Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I took a quiz online with, to find out whether or not, like, I'm libertarian versus authoritarian or, like, right versus left, but, like, which sort of where you are exactly on the spectrum, and I got right libertarian. Whoa, what yeah, a surprise. I know, shocker. But honestly, like, I felt like most of my answers are pretty liberal, so I honestly think what got me was the ones where it was like, do you think religion should be taught in public schools? And I was like, hells yeah, because I went to Catholic school my entire life. And I am slightly biased. <laughs> yeah, I really strongly disagree with that, but that's that's fine. That's I mean, <laughs> I understand that people do disagree with it, and I like I can obviously like empathize, but I'm just like I liked my upbringing. <laughs> um, we're not gonna get into this, okay? <laughs> but yeah, back to the, the it was me topic, and yeah, really good point that there are absolutely different levels to the like the difference between like sexual harassment and sexual assault they are all bad and like i don't want any of them to be happening um but there's also there's different levels of of redeemability i think um yeah no one should ever be redeemed for anything i that's not what i just said but all right (laughs) i was i i don't really believe that people are innately evil um and i believe that there is always a way to forgiveness but i don't necessarily think there's way to forgiveness like with the people in your life like there's definitely not ways to forgiveness with people that you have attacked um there's serving your time and going to therapy and and going through redemption programs um mandated by the state uh, and being relocated like physically and emotionally and mentally into a place where you can be a productive member of society okay I know you don't agree with me, but that's just... I'm like, my ta- if my taxes are paying for that, I don't know. I just don't have... I don't just don't have a lot of faith and hope in humanity. Like, if you want to use my taxes and help, like, the victims who've been sexually harassed, like, how am I going to contest against that? But, like, I-, I don't know, man. Oh, yeah. Also, use more money to help victims of, like, sexual assault and harassment and things like that. That'd be great. I think that's my problem with taxes. The fact that, like... Just one. <laughs> No, well, no, no, no. Well, one of my problems with taxes is that, like, I understand, like, why we need taxes and, like, for other things more than, you know, national defense. But, like, and I understand from the economic standpoint that, like, people are going to be taxed different levels. I just don't think I like taxes because it's, like, the fact that a faceless entity is telling me what's that they're taking my money slash what they're going to give it to and, like, half the stuff that they give it to you is just, like, not going to be actually used for, like, what it's meant to, if that makes sense. It's inefficient. Yes. You've made remarkable growth in admitting that we need taxes, though. <laughs> it still physically pains me, but I think I am growing as a person. I'm proud of you. Thanks. I just don't think we should <laughs> have taxes for stupid things. <laughs> anyway, I think the conclusion on the it was me bit that we can both agree on is that um, if you feel guilt about something that you've done in your life, whether it has to do with with sexual abuse or anything, really, it's up to you to figure out the way forward from that. And it's not 
putting it online for other people to absolve you of your guilt. Yes. You have to figure that out in your personal life. And it's much more effective for you to reach out and shut down people who are participating in negative behavior um, when it happens rather than you trying to receive accolades for being, you know, such a great guy that you can admit what you've done wrong. Like, I'd rather see you shut down a rape joke um, that happens in your workplace, you know? Like, that's going to be actually effective. Yeah, like, stop trying to pull a St. Augustine with your hashtag, it was me, and try to, like, gain all this redemption through your confessions. No, you need to, like, sit down and write, like, an entire book called Augustine's Confessions, and then be redeemed. I want you to know no one gets that reference. (laughs) I don't get that reference. There's this guy, Augustine, he stole a lot of pears back in his day, and he wrote, like, this entire book about how he was, like, a bad person. Okay. Yeah. He didn't have to hashtag, it was me, and then get all of his fame and recognition, and 140 characters, and, like, a movement. No, he had to write a book. Okay. (laughs) On that note, I also wanted to circle back to something that I alluded to before, which is this whole Me Too campaign was actually created 10 years ago. Surprise. Wow. And who was it by? Um, it was by Tarana Burke, who, spoiler alert, is a black woman, um, because that tends to happen, how, you know, black women make things and then somehow they are not paid attention to until white women do them. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sensing a pattern here. Go on. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just like, just, I I mean, I don't want to just like say that this is about, like, black women versus white women, but I think it is just sort of a theme that we see in today's culture that, like, things that people have done don't become relevant until someone, like, in quotes, more important or, like, more, like, noteworthy or more, you know, in the spotlight do it. And then it's just like, well, I was here the entire time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Toronto Burke originally made this in 2007, which is actually before hashtags even existed, which is wild to think about, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, and the actress, Alyssa Milano, who's, who started this um, whole social media wave this time, I don't think she heard about this movement and was like, I shall steal this. Um, <laughs> Dear diary, today. <laughs> today I stole a movement. <laughs> no, I, I think it's it was probably, maybe she heard it subconsciously at some point. Um, or it's just like a, the phrase me too, like no one owns that phrase. And so it might just be totally a coincidence, um, just convergent thinking that ha- that happens. But there are like more systematic patterns at work here for why like white women are in the position of power to get this movement started on, on a larger level um, than a black woman was. Like that just like reminded me of how like Taylor Swift tried to patent her some of the lyrics from her songs, like the um, from Blank Space, where it was like "Nice to meet you, how you been?" or "Where you been?" or something like that, and like she tried to patent that so like no one could put that on pillows and sell it for profit and stuff like that. But it's like I feel like that's a very common phrase, like "Nice to meet you." <laughs> Or nice to see you or whatever she says in that song, Blank Space, which is an incredible piece of work, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, with this thing that happened in particular, I don't think there was any malicious intent on Milano's part. And to her credit, she was like, I've been made aware of an earlier movement. And she linked to um, Burke's work on this. Um, and But I, I hope that like there's been some recognition that, that this woman um, has been doing this work. Um, 
for sexual abuse survivors for like a, a long time um and she's been doing some interviews but I, and I hope that she will continue to be recognized and brought into the forefront of this movement um because that seems to be where she's belonged based on based on her knowledge and and her efforts towards this mm-hmm. definitely but let's get to the real issue here Yes, this is a really good campaign slash movement, but like the fact that this needs to be a movement is troubling in itself. Yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> I'm just full of great points today. You are. But yeah, I mean, as some people find this kind of solidarity very powerful, um, that there can be, you know, effects and, and the people who maybe weren't aware or just not like I'm as emotionally aware um, of how far-reaching sexual violence is, um, can make positive progress towards change. But on the other hand, just stop harassing us, please. Literally, acts of omission are ten times less work than actually doing things. I know. I'm never going to be over this concept. It's just it's easier not to assault people. <laughs> It's just physically easier not to do that. What's that quote by John Mulaney that's like, it is 100% easier not to do things than to do them. <laughs> yeah, and I know that's not how it works, and I know it's a very complicated social dynamic, but also just don't do it. No, it's not that complicated, people. Come on. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I appreciate the efforts of men in the, like, the I, it was me hashtag campaign to try to, like, take ownership for this and not put all of the work on to women and non-binary people but like i said before you know i'd, I'd rather just like women and non-binary people didn't have to yell about it for like several weeks at a time um every time this kind of thing comes up or you know happens constantly and people are always talking about it because it's always an issue and for people who are in positions of power to just like step up and not one not suck and two tell other people to not suck there's just a lot of effort going on here that I feel like is coming from the people who are not the problem. I feel like the people who really are sorry aren't the ones tweeting hashtag it was me. It's kind of like how if you're actually a nice guy, you don't feel the need to tell people you're a nice guy. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh my goodness. Oh. Like, why do these things happen to me? I'm a nice guy. Are you? Are you? you really? <laughs> Question mark? Ugh. Not that we have personal issues with this at all. I am so small yet full of rage. <laughs> there's a there's a thing that go that's gone around online a few times that it was like a fill out a demographic information and one of the questions was gender, but one of the options available was I have no gender, only rage. <laughs> um and I do identify as having a gender, but I also think about that a lot. I have a lot of rage. Yep. Yeah. I'm like 75% rage at any given moment. I would say I'm like 60% rage, 40% caffeine. That's not a good combination. I'm sure this will be an ongoing topic because it is for our entire lives. Um, so that's fun. Be good people, please. Yeah, please. For our last topic of the day, I want to talk about the most absurd headline I have seen in such a long time. And the headline is... Fake Melania sparks absurd conspiracy theory meme. I love conspiracy theories. I love memes. Not bad ones that cause people to attack other people, but like fun ones I'm here for. <laughs> like the Berenstain Bears one? 
Yeah. Oh, my God. I am convinced that's a real thing. Oh, my God. The Mandela effect is a real thing. All right. I definitely remember a different spelling of the Berenstein Bears when I was growing up. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <clears throat> Back to the subject at hand. <laughs> so there's this clip of Trump talking and his wife, Melania, is sitting next to him and she's got big oversized sunglasses on. And at one point in the clip, he says, my wife, Melania, who's right here with me, which is... You know, a thing that you would say if your wife, Melania, was not right here with you. <laughs> and there's someone on Twitter was like, I think it's a fake. <laughs> like, I think that's another person that they have put in sunglasses and a Melania wig. Now, I want to be clear that the odds of this being true are like 1%. <laughs> but it's hilarious. Look at this. Okay, I'm going to link the clip of with the, the original tweet. Um, <laughs> case you need <laughs> I love her so much. Speaking of when we were talking about Kardashian memes <laughs> last week or a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. there's the one where um, someone, Twitter's like, Melania has a body double in me, and it's the meme of Chris Kardashian saying, this is the case for the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> the devil works hard, but Chris Jenner works harder. As they say. Oh, yeah. Her name's not Kardashian. Oh, well. I forget. <laughs> she tries. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, if... And I want to make it very clear so we are not accused of spreading fake news. There is no reason why this is this should be true, although if it is, it's going to be buck wild. But it's just Melania wearing big sunglasses. And a trench coat and looks vaguely sus. Yeah, and Trump saying things like, my wife is definitely here, which is exactly the kind of thing that he would say if she wasn't, which just makes it more funny. But if she was replaced with a body double, where do you think she is? (laughs) Hmm. I don't know. Probably far away from Trump, because I would not want to be near that man, (laughs) ever. I I think she's in the south of France by now. Yeah. If, I mean, if she knows what's good for her. She took her son with her. Fair. The little boy. He's so cute. Yeah, he's just a little bean who's probably going to grow up to be really racist because of his family. Yeah. Sad. Sad! Back to the very important issue at hand, whether Melania has been replaced with a body double. The thing is, the reason this is such a weird but amusing concerning conspiracy theory is that if she did run away from Trump, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they would replace her with a body double. Like, that's something that this administration would do, which is what <laughs> makes it so fun to talk about. My wife, Melania, who is right here with me. I'm going to start saying that, <laughs> but for just random things. The homework, which I did, but is in my backpack right now and is not currently out. My job offer, which is right here with me. <laughs> My stable mental health, which is right here with me. <laughs> this is getting too real, and I'm sorry. <laughs> this podcast, which we're recording right now in our professional <laughs> studio. My professional studio, which is right here with me. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, this is a very dumb topic, and this is the end of the episode. <laughs> if you want to find us on Twitter, you can follow us at MixedFeelingsFM. Um, where you can tweet at us or send us a DM. You can also find our show notes at relay.fm slash mixedfeelings, where there's also a contact form if you want to send us some feedback. You can also find us in the Apple Podcast Store, where if you want, you can leave us a review. 
You can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Thanks for talking with me today, Quinn. Thanks for talking with me. Oh, always a pleasure. I'm Jillian Parker. I'm Quinn Rose. And these were our mixed feelings.